Today's reading comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, thank you, Ben. Good morning, Arcadia. Good to see you all this morning. If you're new, welcome. We're glad you're here. (laughs) Um, Friends of ours down here, sorry. Uh, My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, before we get started, uh, this has kind of become a traditional annual thing that we do today, and I'll get more into that in a second. I wanted to give you an update on the Sacred Space Initiative Uh, that we started talking about back in November, on November 6th. Um, Our goal, what we were asking for for the congregation to do in participating with uh, the building of this new sanctuary just north of our current building cluster, uh, we were asking the congregation over the next three years to participate with $1,750,000 toward that. Uh, That would be over the three years. So by... December 2025, we wanted to have over and above our regular giving an additional million seven hundred and fifty, and we asked you to make commitments about how uh, much you'd be able to do in that. And so, uh, uh, what we came up with is a really wonderful start. We're very encouraged right now, as of today, between commitments and cash on hand that people have already started giving. We have a million six hundred thousand dollars. That's really good news. That's really good. Um, If you get into all the analytics about uh, churches doing um, initiatives like this, and you you look at the percentages and how much you're supposed to have at each stage during an initiative, uh, we are actually ahead of the game right now. So we're very thankful to your your commitment and your generosity. So that's good news. And we are pressing forward with the... uh, the project, uh, Tyler, Pastor Tyler James is our project manager. He's the one that's working uh, closest with Jack DeBartolo, our architect. And um, uh, this might surprise some of you, I know. Uh, we're about two weeks behind schedule right now. I'm, I'm sure you're surprised that a construction project would be behind schedule. But we're a little bit behind, but we're moving forward with it. We expect to break ground probably the first week of June, uh, just coming up in a few months. So that's really exciting. So, having given that update, let's just dive in. Uh, I want to kind of give you an overview of what we're going to be doing the next several weeks. On February 5th, uh, we will begin a nine-week series working through 16 magnificent chapters in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapters 40 through 55. But until then, it's going to be a little bit herky-jerky, Uh, Today, what I'm going to do is what has now become our traditional, I think this is the seventh year in a row we're doing it, it's our annual tip of our hat to founding pastor Tom Schrader and his past year, present year evaluation that he put together more than 30 years ago that he used to do every year on the the first um, Sunday uh, of the year. So we're going to do that again today when I get to it. Uh, The rest of all the redemption congregations today start a four-week series called Rich Toward God, which was originally titled Jesus and Money, and then some people sobered up and we changed the title to a better title. Um, And and 
in those, in those four weeks, uh, we're going to cover uh, Luke chapter 12. What we're going to do at Arcadia is we're going to do those the last two weeks of January. We're not going to do, we're going we're to combine the material and do it all in uh, the last two weeks of January. We're not going to do it in four weeks. So the 22nd and the 29th, we'll be doing Rich Toward God, uh, Luke chapter 12, if you want to read ahead. Uh, next week, on the 15th, will be another what we call a one-off message. Uh, it's just some crucial items that I've been ruminating on for the last uh, year, year and a half that I'm hoping and praying will be helpful to our congregation. So it'll be kind of a, it'll be a serious, but kind of like a fireside uh, chat with the congregation. Now, listen up right now. I will tell you that this message next Sunday is going to be rated PG-13. I just want to warn you about that. If you're somebody that likes to have your 8- or 10-year-old in here, there might be some material in the message that you might not think is appropriate for them, even though... I tr trust me, they're already hearing about all of this stuff and have questions about it in the culture. They maybe just haven't asked you about it, okay? But it is rated PG-13. I wanted to warn you about that. Uh, one other item of interest, I think, uh, for that uh, Rich Toward God series, the last two weeks in, in January, uh, we're also going to do something a little bit different. Um, I've invited a couple of people in our congregation to help speak into that series, uh, so the way it's going to be set up is I'm going to get up each Sunday and I'm going to talk for 15 or 18 minutes about the passage. And then I'm going to invite somebody uh, with uh, marketplace experience uh, who's going to come up and we're going to do like a 15 or 20 minute uh, interview. So it'll be kind of like the dueling preaching thing we do, but not really. It'll be more of me just asking them questions and bringing out some uh, gospel-centered principles about um, vocation and money and, and all of those sorts of things. So uh, having said all that, let's jump into my version of Tom Schrader's outline for past year, present year, and then I'll get to my, I am always shocked at how many people are saying, are you going to do the book list at the, yes, I'm going to do the book list at the end. And so we're, I'll talk about the 20 top books of 20, that I read during 2022. And I just want to let you know, I'm, I'm in a bit of a snarky mood today. I apologize for that. But um, if you, how many of you remember Tom Schrader? Okay, very few people as snarky as him. Can I get an amen? So I feel like if I'm going to do his material, i got to be a little bit snarky. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I've discovered in the last eight or ten years, though. Um, some of you might think Tom Schrader is the king of snark, but he's not. I happen to like the show Gilmore Girls. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. If I can't be your pastor because I've watched that show, I'm sorry. But anyway, I like that show. But the king of snark is actually a character on that show. Anybody know who it is? Yeah, okay, never mind. It's Michelle, the guy that works in the inn. The French guy? Yeah, okay. Well, this landed really well, so let's move on. All right, so here's how we, here's how we start the process, okay? In your mind, I want you to answer some questions that are based off the, the, the primary question is, how was your 2022? How was last year? Now, often when we ask that question, how was your year last year, we immediately bring up a grid of questions that we'll ask that kind of help us determine how our year was. So, for instance, did I make more money in 2022 than in 2021? We'll often look at that and say, oh, it was a good year. I made more money than the year before. Now, I want to make sure we understand. We're not saying, did you keep more money in 2022 than 2021? Did you make more money? Uh, we tend to forget about how... Very often we can make more money, but we acquire so much more debt that we end up actually 
uh, in, in a negative position. So uh, we, need to, we, all need, we also need to be asking about debt in the midst of that. Here's the second question. Did you improve your position or enhance your career? Did you get a promotion? Did you move for a better job or something like that? I will tell you, uh, after 11 years leading a church in Arcadia, here's what I've discovered about Arcadia. Arcadia is a professionally transitory area. People really have the tendency to move in and then move out, and the reason is because they are getting better jobs, better offers, and things like that. So that's kind of a common thing uh, as well. Here's the third question. Did you increase your influence over others? Did you increase your position? Did you increase your power over others? Did you become a social media influencer? Did you do something that, uh, that increased um, uh, other people's view in their eyes of you? And then the last one is, did you cause envy or jealousy in others? Isn't that one of the most exciting things in your life when you find out that somebody else wishes they were you? Isn't that just a great moment? Okay, well, anyway, that's one way to evaluate. So you look at these questions, this grid, and there might be other questions as well. And then you get, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, you might get a, a number in your mind. So, well, I think last year was a 7, or last year was really a 3. I really killed it last year. It was a 9.5. Now, obviously, what I'm going to present is, is a different way to evaluate what we think might be a better criteria. So let's go into that, one that's biblical and gospel-centered. So here's the first one. Ask yourself these five questions. Number one, in 2022, did you recognize the importance of self-evaluation? Have you ever noticed how good we are at evaluating everybody else, but how much we tend to struggle with our own evaluation? And yet, if you read through the New Testament letters, uh, you, you'll see that Paul really jumps on this idea of just quit comparing yourself to others. That is a fruitless endeavor if, if you have that type of personality, you're always going to find somebody worse than you. No matter where you are in life, you will always find somebody that you can justify is worse than you so that you can feel better about yourself. But that's a fruitless endeavor. That doesn't work. By the way, you might also have the opposite kind of personality. You could also be just the greatest person in the world, but you can find that one person that's a little greater than you, and then you're depressed. So there are people with that kind of personality, too. The point is, is that this social comparison process is fruitless. It doesn't help you. Uh, Paul writes in Galatians this. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, that would be a lot of us, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, not others, so they can then find fulfillment in their own walk without comparing themselves to anyone else. Paul constantly says, just quit comparing yourself to, uh, to others. Do self-evaluation. You're the only person, by the way, you can change. You can't change others. Married people, are you listening? Okay. You're the only person that you can change. And by the way, if you really want to compare yourself to somebody, try Jesus. That, that'll help put things into perspective, and it'll remind you of your need for him. Here's a second one. In 2022, did you understand the value of your time? I think we make two mistakes when it comes to time. Number one, we don't value it enough. And number two, we also don't realize how often time is actually our friend, not our foe. Most of us run around feeling like 
Uh, time is our enemy. We don't have enough of it. We're running out of it. We're getting squeezed and pressed for time. But in fact, very often, time is our enemy. How many times have you been in a situation and, and you're worried about it, and, and really, if you just let it go for a week or so, you find out it's not that big of a deal because time helps you to process things and, and, and give you some distance from those things? Uh, psalm 90, in the midst of a psalm, that is a lament about our sin and the trouble that we find in this world, the author of Psalm 90 prays to God that he would teach us to number our days correctly, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, isn't it interesting that the psalmist here makes a connection between wisdom and the godly and intelligent perspective of time? There is wisdom in understanding time. Really well, here's a question that we should always ponder. Will we spend our time or will we invest our time? And we often forget that time is the only resource for which we are all allotted the same amount. All of us get 168 hours a week, that's it. Nobody uh, only has 144. I, I wish I was one of those persons that could get 225 hours a week. We all do. Uh, the problem is, is that we can't do that. We all get 168 hours. So the challenge isn't, how can I get more time than other people, but rather, will I use my time more wisely than others? Here's the third question. Did your victories exceed your defeats? I've been on this rampage for at least 10 years now. I think, I think Christians are some of the worst people in the world at recognizing and celebrating victories. It's almost like, it's almost like we feel like Scripture prohibits us from being able to celebrate victories. Uh, in, in, um, in, in the book of 2 Timothy, it's the last Paul, uh, letter that Paul is writing, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. He's willing to say he's done well. He celebrates his victories. You know, if you read through the book of Acts and you know about Paul's life, the apostle Paul's life, you know that he lost a lot during his life. But Paul always recognized and celebrated victories as well. It's okay to celebrate. Here you go. You can be humble and still celebrate. Um, I... Back in the 1970s, anybody else alive during that time? Okay, well, anyway, back in the 1970s when I was still interested in football, one of my um, favorite players was a wide receiver from Ar for, for Arizona State University named Steve Holden. I don't know if any of you ever remember. He, he went on and had a, um, a moderately successful career in the NFL, but he was, he was a big play guy for ASU. And, and there was something about him that differentiated himself from all the other football players at the time, when he would score a touchdown, and he scored a lot of touchdowns, um, he would humbly celebrate. It was, it was one of the most amazing things. In, in a day when everybody's trying to get attention to themselves, he would run into the end zone, just drop the ball, pump his fist once, and then that was pretty much it. And, and I always respected him for that. He was a guy that if anybody should be pumping his chest, it should be Steve Holden, but he was willing to celebrate humbly. We can do that as well. Number four, did you finish well? Did you finish well? This is a big deal, too. Anyone can start a race. I've, I've run several marathons, and there's always way more people at the start than there are at the finish line. But the idea is to finish. Who's there at the finish line? Anybody can begin the, uh, a project or the quest for a dream, but how many actually will run it out? Uh, again, Paul in 2 Timothy says, I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. 
And then Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, one of my favorite books in the Bible, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, he reminds us that the end of something is actually better than the beginning. It's one of, it's one of the things that I try to tell um, couples who are getting married. I, I hope you want, uh, realize that the end of your marriage, when you finish well, that's going to be even better than the, than the uh, wedding ceremony. You know, and, and everybody gets so excited about the wedding and we spend money and it's a celebration. And that's fine, but we need to remember to finish well also. Uh, number five, did you anticipate the return of Christ? Again, in 2 Timothy, Paul says it this way. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And then, and then, of course, there's Jesus telling John to write down in Revelation chapter 22. He says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. By the way, that's the point of Advent. It's, it's not only that we celebrate Jesus has come, but we look forward to his second coming. Do we, did we anticipate the return of Christ? I will tell you that I think about the return of Christ often, and I, and I do uh, look forward to that. So now, taking that criteria and holding it against the first criteria I gave you, now what does your 2022 look like? So some of you that maybe you were an eight, now you're a three. Some of you who are thinking, I was a two, but you look and you go, actually, I had a really good spiritual year. Now you're an eight, okay? So here's the key that I want to hit you with now, now that we've done that. Whatever your year was, okay, now we have to wipe it clean, and you should wipe it clean, whatever it is. Either if it was an eight or a nine, celebrate it, yes, but then let's wipe it clean and let's look at 2023. If it was bad, if it was not a good year, okay, confess it and move it on. Just move on to 2023. Uh, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, forgetting what lies behind, I press on toward the upward call of Jesus Christ. That's what we're to do. It's not that we shouldn't learn from our past, but we also need to remember that God is calling us to this upward call in Christ Jesus. So in 2023, consider using this as your guide. Six items for us to look at. Number one, work to improve your relationships. Work to improve your relationships. And here's a key to this. This might be the most important thing about improving your relationships. You need to be the one that makes the first move. I, I hear this all the time from people. Nobody befriends me. And, and yet they're the ones that are sitting at home, doing nothing, never reaching out, expecting everyone else to be the one to reach out. If you want friends, the first step is to go and be a friend to somebody. Be that person that reaches out. Well, my personality isn't like that. Okay, you're going to have to work on that then. Okay? Here's what Paul writes at the beginning of 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise uh, of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, 
as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that, my, uh, that I may be filled with joy. Paul was always somebody that reached out. Paul had networks, he had friends, he had, he had connections, but it's because he worked at it. He always reached out. Uh, Pastor Trey, who was up here this morning hosting, um, he said this once a couple of years ago in a, in a staff meeting, and, and I wrote it down, and I, it's been um, something that I appreciate. He, he says, we are formed more by practices than by understanding. See, I know that everybody in this room, you hear, I need to be the one that makes that first step. You hear that, and you go, I know that's correct. I know that's true. But the question is, are you going to go and do it? It's only half the battle to know it. The question is, are you going to do it? And yes, it's a practice, but you're formed by that practice. You're formed by pushing against those walls of your discomfort. You're formed by getting outside of your, your little comfort zone. Uh, the reality, here's the reality, at least we're going to admit this, relationships are hard work and require long-term commitment and covenant but they are instrumental to our formation. Uh, Tom Schrader, our founding pastor, used to say it this way. What is it that you want in a friend? Well, then quit whining and go be that person to someone else. Here's the second thing. Desire and increase in freedom. Honestly, whatever you are serving in this world that isn't God, whatever you are worshiping in this world that isn't God, you're in bondage to that thing. It's a false god. It's an idol. And it can never do for you what Jesus... It can promise you all kinds of things, but it can never do for you what Jesus can do for you. Whether it's power or status or wealth or comfort or vocation, whatever it is, whatever you're worshiping that isn't God, you're in bondage to that thing. Now, it's not that those things are bad. It's that we elevate them above God, and then we get frustrated because they can't fulfill us the way Jesus can fulfill us. That's the problem. Uh, Paul, again, writes in 1 Corinthians, God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Brothers and sisters, stay where you are called to be. God is there. Hold the high ground with him at your side. See, what we have to recognize is that we were created to worship. We were created to serve. And so if we're not serving God, we are serving something else. Don't fall for the lie that you tell yourself that I'm not serving anything. I'm not worshiping anybody. I'm not worshiping anything. I'm my own person. Well, then you're worshiping yourself. And trust me, Jesus is a little bit better than you. Okay? Here's the third thing. Consider your passion and your zeal. Is it for Jesus in the gospel? This is an amazing paragraph at the beginning of Romans chapter 9 that Paul writes. He writes this, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I, might, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I, that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen in the flesh. Here's what Paul is saying, Paul was a Jew, and in fact, uh, for uh, much of his early life, he was persecuting Christians as false teachers, as teaching heresy, as blaspheming against God because they believed in Jesus. 
And then Jesus converts him. He has his Damascus Road experience. And so now he goes to his kinsmen, the Jews, and says, the Messiah has come. You're still waiting for the Messiah. I'm telling you the Messiah has come. And instead of accepting Jesus, they chase after Paul and they want to kill Paul. And here's Paul in Romans. He's writing the church in Rome. And he says, of those Jews, his kinsmen, who have rejected Christ, he says, I would rather that I was cut off from Christ, that I wasn't even saved if my kinsmen, my, uh, God's people, if, if, uh, if the nation of Jews could be saved. That's a deep and abiding passion for the gospel. He was willing to give it all up in order that other people might come to know Christ. Here's number four. Expand your perspective. And this is the text that um, Ben read for us this morning. I could talk about this text for an hour. Now, I'm not going to because we have a 1045 service, but they could be in trouble today. But at any rate, um, this is a passage in uh, Philippians chapter 1 where Paul says this. He's praying for the church in Philippi, and he says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Now, love's a big deal, right? We're all into love, right? The problem is, how do we define love? And the way our world and the way culture defines love is not a biblical, covenantal, gospel-centered understanding of love. And Paul then gives it to us. He says, I want your love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. He wants our love to, to abound with insight and wisdom so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, love isn't just a feeling, although it is a feeling, and those feelings can be wonderful. But love is also a covenant. L love is also doing what you need to do, even though it might be costly for you to do it. Love is also pursuing God so that you know who God is, know his will, know his son Jesus Christ, uh, call for the Holy Spirit to fill you and lead you and guide you and direct you so that you might have the wisdom to be able to deal with this dark, fallen, and broken world. That's what true love is. And as a church, we need to recapture that. We need to recapture that. I'm not saying that romantic love and, and um, those fluffy feelings of love aren't fun. I enjoy those feelings as well. But that's a very narrow version of what genuine love really is. Love is much more expansive. It's a commitment. It's a covenant. It's something that we desire to do even when it's costly for us to do. And then here's number five. Commit to a strengthening of the spirit. How's your prayer life? I know that's a, a, a question that most Christians are really afraid somebody's going to ask them. Uh, how's your prayer life? Well, it's not as good as it could be. That's true, but has it been improving? Okay. We need to be connected. We need to be reading scripture. We need to be praying. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be in faith community as well so that we can sharpen each other. And so that when we are outside of the faith community, which should be a lot of the time that we exist in this world, we are prepared. We are filled with the Spirit. We know God's Word. And we are able to advance the gospel in a way that honors God and honors His Son, Jesus Christ. And I will just tell you this. When it comes to our pastoral staff here at Redemption Arcadia, 
uh, we as a pastoral staff will only ever be as effective as our prayers for ourselves, our prayers for you, and your prayers for us. We need to be a praying community. And then number six, please do not fall into the cultural temptation of of painting yourself as a victim. Uh, That has become the new exalted place in our world and in our culture. If you can figure out how to portray yourself as a victim, that's That is the height of righteousness in our world today. And it is a lie, it is a problem, and you shouldn't do it. Uh, I I mentioned this book a couple of years ago on my list, maybe four years ago on on my list, and I keep coming back to it and and say, you need to read this book. The book is called The Rise of Victimhood Culture by Campbell and Manning, a couple of uh, PhDs in sociology. And I still say it is a must read. It'll give you insights on on what's happening in our world today that um, uh, really very hard to find anywhere else. So there you go. This is how we can make 2023 the best year of our lives. And I, and I know that there's all kinds of concern with 2023 about what kind of year, every year we run into this, what kind of year is it gonna be? Is there gonna be an economic downturn? Is there gonna be a, a, a problem um, uh, with the, the world and war and all that stuff? Every year we have that Uh, those issues that we talk about and we worry about. Our call here in this church is to stay focused on Christ because that's what really matters. It's not that those other things don't matter, but what truly matters is our walk with Christ. And that's why we have this grid uh, that we ask you to look at. So last thing here, um, these are some of the most important books that I felt like I uh, I read in the last year, a lot of you like this part, you take notes, and, and it's, it, it is encouraging to me when, when you all come up and say, okay, I read every book that you, uh, Liz, uh, some of you do that, you read every single one that I do, and, and others of you read a couple, and, and that's great, uh, some of you read one and come to me and say, that was the worst book I ever read, I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, so, okay, so anyway, uh, here's the first one. Uh, It's by John Mark Comer. It was written in 2019. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, A couple things about this book. Number one, uh, this is not necessarily new material. By the way, how many of you have read this book already? Yeah, look at that. Quite a few hands. Okay. Uh, It's not that this material is necessarily new, but uh, but Comer has a way of being able to put it together in, in, I think, a really helpful way. Now, I will also say this, um, and I could get in a little bit of trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it. Anyway, because I enjoy getting into trouble, just ask Jackie. Um, read this book or listen to it if, if you can tolerate Comer's somewhat annoying virtue signaling that he does throughout the book. He's, he's, a, he's a big virtue signaler. And, and I just don't find that helpful when I'm reading. It, there were times when I was like ready to put it down because I got tired of it. And here's why. Here's why it bothers me. I don't understand. This is by, some of you have heard me say, I'm not reading a lot of Christian authors anymore. And this is one of the reasons why. I don't understand why so many Christian authors insist on playing to people who are never going to like them in the first place. They're just never going to like them. No matter what you say, they're not going to like you. Okay? Here you go. Here's what I'd like to remind some of these Christian authors. You're not Michael Scott. Everyone doesn't have to love you, okay? Just write something gospel-centered and biblical, and everything will be fine, all right? Okay, all right, here's the second one. 
The book is called Seinfeldia. <laughs> is anybody surprised? <laughs> okay, let me tell you. I was done with Seinfeld. I was out. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Anyway, there's a Godfather reference. So anyway, um, I, I thought I was out, and then Jackie, my wife, finds this book. It was written in 2016 called Seinfeldia. It was this journalist who went to some baseball game, and it was... Seinfeld night in 2015, and she's like, the, the place is sold out, and everybody's dressed as a Seinfeld, thousands of people. It's 2015. How is Seinfeld still important? So she started to investigate, and she wrote this book, Seinfeldia, and it's got all the backstories on all the characters, all the episodes. It was so entertaining. I highly recommend this book, unless you don't like Seinfeld. I highly recommend uh, this book. Here's a third one. It's called The War on the West. It was written just last spring by Douglas uh, Murray. Okay? Now, some of you may know who Douglas Murray is, and you'll also recognize that this is not the first time that Douglas Murray has been on this list that I've given you. Um, Douglas Murray is an atheist, uh, and he's made the list now twice for two different books, but his books are so insightful in terms of trying to understand the world around us. And again, this is another book that I do, re uh, I do recommend. By the way, there's another book that didn't make the list because it's more than 700 pages long and it's really academic. And if I hadn't taken classes in the material that he was covering, I never would have probably gotten through the book. But the book is called Dominion by Tom Holland. Has anybody heard of or read this book? Okay, really good, really helpful. But he's an atheist too. And he writes a book. Here you go. He's an atheist who wrote a book essentially about, about the history of religion and specifically the Christian church over the millennia, including uh, the Old Testament start to it. Okay? And then at the end of the book, he says, by the way, uh, in our Western culture, it is Christian morals and values that have built us up, and now we're tearing those down, and that's a bad thing. He's an atheist saying this. Okay? I'm telling you, it, there are times when I, I truly believe that people who don't believe in God have a better understanding of church and culture than we do. Isn't that interesting? Some of you are like, that's just not true. Well, read some of these books. Might help. Here's, here's the fourth one. It's called Invisible. It was written in 2018 by Stephen L. Carter, and he's the grandson of the person that this book was written about. It's a fantastic story and biography. Story not in the sense that it's fiction. It's nonfiction. It's uh, a biography of the first African-American female New York prosecutor in the 1930s who is the single person who is responsible for putting Lucky, Lucky Luciano behind bars. It's a fascinating story. Uh, next one. Dopamine Nation, written just this last year in 2022 by uh, Dr. Anna Lemke. Uh, now, I will tell you, this book will actually make some of you angry because it's going to challenge you right where you need to be challenged, and it's going to make you uncomfortable, but you all need to read this book. It's a very, very important book. Uh, next one, The Intentional Father, which was written in 2021 by John Tyson. If you are a parent, and especially if you are a father, you need to, be, uh, you need to read this book. Next one is a book uh, that was written in 1997. I read it in... Uh, 1999. It's called The Gift of Pain. It's by Paul Brand. I reread it this past year, and it's just as good, uh, if not 
even better now than it was then. The insights that uh, Paul Brand has are really, really helpful. Uh, the last one on my list is um, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. Has anybody heard of this book? Yeah, see, here you go. This is the first book that's ever made the list two years in a row, okay? It was on the list last year. It's on the list again this year. I reread it this year. It was even more important that I reread it this year. You need to read or listen to this book. Incredibly insightful. So, if you haven't read any of these books and you're like, I'm not going to read all of those. Give me just two. Here, here are the two. The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self and Dopamine Nation. Those are the two. And they're both on audio, so no excuses. All right? You can listen to them on, in your car or whatever. And by the way, if you're like, I've done one of those, what's a third one? It would be Douglas Murray's The War on the West. Okay? So now, how about a prayer and an awkward transition into communion? How would that be? All right? Well, let's do it. Uh, Father God, thank you for your word and its truth. And especially, God, right now, I just <laughs> I want to thank you for Tom Schrader, our founding pastor, and his insight and his wisdom, his leadership, uh, his snarkiness, his wit, uh, his intellect, his wisdom, uh, everything that he is to so many of us in this room. I thank you for him. I thank you for bringing him into our life. I thank you for... Um, him having the courage and the foresight not only to plant East Valley Bible Church, but then several years later to merge with Praxis to become Redemption Church. Uh, thank you for his material that we reviewed today, but thank you especially that embedded in his material is this constant direction and pointing to your word, your son, and the gospel that you have given us, the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. So thank you for those things. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to have a time of uh, reflection and celebration and confession right now. We're going to take communion together. If our communion servers would uh, please come forward. We read about this in the Gospels. On the night that Jesus was uh, betrayed, he's having uh, the Passover meal with his best friends. And at one point in the meal, he veers off the normal course of the meal, picks up the bread, and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body, and it's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after they had supped, he picked up uh, a cup that was filled with wine. There were four cups there filled with wine. He picks up the third one, the Thanksgiving cup, and he gives thanks, and then and then he says, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And Paul says every time that we come together and we, and we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So it's a, it's, it's a, again, it's that point we asked you about. We said, do we, do we anticipate and look forward to the return of Christ? And so when you come out into that aisle, uh, you're doing two things really. You're confessing your need for Jesus, which we all have a need for him, but also you're celebrating that you have Jesus, that, that you're with him, that you're a part of the kingdom, and that's a beautiful thing. And so when we come, you, you, take, the, uh, you take the bread, the body, you dip it into the cup. It's called intinction. That's how we do it. 
come in celebration, but also remember that it, it is a sacrament. It's a sacred time for us to be able to celebrate our life in Christ. Let's do that now.
And holy, holy. 
struck wonder at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is power, breath in living water, such a marvelous mystery. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather, to worship your name, to be led in music and in the preaching of your word, um, and also to be encouraged by uh, such a wonderful fatherly uh, kind of heart from Frank uh, to be encouraged to interact with our world well. Uh, Lord, we also thank you for the opportunity to know one another in our congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys for being here and worshiping with us. Uh, I'm going to read something from John 13 as we go into the week uh, as a central, central thing of who we are in Christ. Before I do that, uh, I just want to say, uh, as the beginning of the year and stuff, if you're new, I would love to meet you. So I'm going to be at the Connect Desk. Uh, if you're new or you've been coming for a little bit and you want to learn more, I'd love to tell you. Also, if you're in college or just out of college, meet here tomorrow night at 7. We'll give you food and we'll sing and we'll talk about God's Word. So uh, let me read this over us as a prayer. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. This is Jesus speaking. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. May this be what identifies us in Christ, and may this be uh, the way that we're reminded that it was Christ who first loved us that empowers us to love. So I love you. Go and live all of life all for Jesus, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>